Welcome to another episode of the NRL Supercoach All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley, back again for another week of episodes in the preseason series. This week is going to be huge. I know I say it every week, but we've got a blockbuster matchup this week. We've got the Manly Seagulls and the Penrith Panthers, two predicted top four teams. So going to be a lot to talk about in Supercoach. A lot going on this week. We've got this, this podcast here that's going to be in two parts. Part one is going to be the Manly Seagulls. Part two is going to be the Penrith Panthers. And next week as well, a week from today, there's going to be uh, another All-Stars podcast episode that's going to be talking real footy. So I did a couple of polls and different things and I mentioned on a couple of different social media accounts that I'm going to look at adding an extra episode a week. It wasn't going to impact Supercoach at all. So Supercoach content is going to stay just exactly the same. Nothing's being replaced. But we're going to have another episode just to chat real footy and maybe get some players on in the future as well and, and a few different things and just talk about the current footy environment. So that should be fun. But that's going to be up next Wednesday or Thursday. And that's going to actually have Luke Garrity on it. Fan favourite Luke Garrity, known jersey collector and rugby league extraordinaire of history of the game on the Rugby League Cemetery podcast. So that's going to be fun. But tonight, for the Supercoach team previews of Manly and Penrith, we have the triumphant return of Billy Marion. Hey, brother. Welcome back, mate. Thanks, Mike. Although I, uh, when you said it was going to be a Battle of the Titans tonight, I thought you were referring to you and I, Barnsley and Bill. Well, it could be interpreted that way, I guess. Um, <laughs> I don't think it will be. Penrith well, and Manly are probably more exciting than what we are. Let's put a couple of key players in there too, so we can probably go hammer and tong and maybe disagree or throw out some pros and cons and come to an agreement in the end anyway. But see. Have you been finding that you've been twiddling along with your Supercoach team a lot? We haven't actually chatted since the very first preseason episode, which was, what, six weeks ago or something? Nah, not really. I um, did one uh, one team and pretty much kind of kept that kind of spine for about two or three weeks, mate, and then a couple of little adjustments trying to get a key player in that was too hard to put it back out and I'm just nothing really changing pending TLT anyway so yeah I, I haven't touched it too much actually just every now and then I, I plug someone in um, when I sort of get a bit more confirmation that they're going to be in as a cheapie or that sort of thing but I haven't I haven't changed too much uh, the All-Stars game was obviously something that we could watch and take a little bit away from but I don't think that you can see too much in that especially when it was pouring rain I mean probably the only thing that I really did like as someone who Seems to be in the minority of supporters of Nico Hines making a decent transition in the halves. I thought he looked pretty composed and and quite good, especially some of his short kicking. He had a little kick for a try and stuff, and it was raining. He was pretty composed. That was probably one of the main things I took out of the All-Stars game, if you can take anything out of it. Yeah, he looked all right. Um, nothing that makes you go, yeah, that's seriously undervalued. I want to absolutely smash that, though. So um, I reckon he'll go all right this year, but um, he's probably priced... <laughs> <laughs> Let's say within 20 25 points of where he probably should be. Whether that's up or down, no idea, no idea, mate. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was good just to get some footy. We've got some trials on this weekend or weekend, which is great. I'll be watching a lot of those. Look, let's talk about the Manly Seagulls, Billy. So they're the first team for part one of this podcast, and they went well last year, and that's probably a big understatement. So when we're having a look at the NRL letter for last year, Manly finished top four, they were fourth, had a pretty good record, 16 wins, eight losses, 
I think the biggest thing for them, their points for, obviously they were just an offensive juggernaut and that bled its way over into the Supercoach world as well with the amount of points that they were scoring in Supercoach. They scored 744 points. That was the third best in the comp. The only two teams that beat them on scoring points was the Rabbits and that was only narrowly by 31 points better and also the Storm. Realistically, you know, they're probably going to be up there again in, in point scoring, you would think, and that is one of the things that made them such a good super coach team. In real life, uh, they finished top four, um, and this coming year, I think a lot of people would probably think they're going to be pretty close to a top four team as well. I've got them penciled in for fourth. I, I think they'll be around fourth. Um, certainly, I think their range, though, is probably going to be anywhere from three to seven, and that's kind of where I've got them penciled in. What about yourself? Yeah, that probably makes a fair bit of sense. I think the one, two are pretty bloody obvious. You're not going to muck around with those two. And then there's a good three that'll sort of fight out for that third and fourth. And I think the, the young Trebojevic factor probably wins in the key game towards the end or a couple. So, yeah, I think sort of fourth is right in the money pretty much. Yep. Should probably be a top four team. Another successful season coming. Let's have a quick look at their roster and their player movements for 2022. Player gains, they've only got one really uh, that's of note. And that's Ethan Bullimore coming over from Brisbane. The losses, they've got a few. Curtis Sirenen, oh, I've been a fan favourite of Curtis Sirenen for years. It's sad to see him go. Kate Cust, Moses Suley and Jack Gozowski go to St. George. Uh, and Tavita Funa, who was good depth for them, goes over to Rugby Union. So certainly they weren't real players on the, on the market as far as grabbing some new signings, but they did lose a few. You know, Curtis Sirenen would obviously normally be a starter when he wasn't injured. Um, the Goz made appearances off the bench plenty of times and Moses Suley was a bit of a wrecking ball for them. So I'd, I'd probably say overall their roster, they probably lose a little bit, just bringing in Bullimore and losing a few guys that are normally going to be in the 17. Yeah, it's, just don't have massive depth. They're like they, they lose a few guys, but it's not like, um, you know, I think someone was making fun of, um, who was it, like the Dragons today. They don't have like a, a massive pack. Some teams just have a bit more kick. They can bring in Melee just seems to have like, he, he, he's your bear 13. That's it. Someone gets injured. Forget about it. Yeah, they look, they don't have a huge amount of depth. And certainly if their key players get injured, they're probably more susceptible than a lot of other teams. Obviously, we saw the first month with Turbo down that it just, you know, they were a completely different team. And that goes without saying. You know what? Just thinking about it, mainly kind of reminding me of my super coach team. you got $2 million blokes in the spine and you did so just <laughs> spending every dollar to try and fit Grab a guys off the street that can put a jersey on. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, look. I think there's, they're not going to end up heaps worse off from their recruitment uh, in the off-season. As far as the draw for them goes, it's quite interesting. So the Manly draw starts off pretty hard. The first two rounds, they've got the Penrith Panthers and then the Sydney Roosters. It does get a bit easier. So they've got the Bulldogs in round three, followed by the Raiders, and that rounds out the first month. The second month of the season, they go on to the Knights, the Titans, the Sharks, and the Rabbits. So that's a little bit easier. Um, but not, you know, terribly easy. And that's the first two months done. And then you kind of think, okay, cool. They're on to a good thing relating to the bye. They then hit the Tigers in round nine and then the Broncos. So that's back-to-back Tommy Turbo potential 200-point alert games. Uh, And then we've got the Eels and the Storm, though, which is two tougher games. They don't really have a real smooth run of three or four games. uh, And they certainly start off pretty tough with the Panthers and the Roosters in the first two weeks. So definitely not one of the easier draws or one of the ones that I think that you need to really target. And one of the key positives, though, is that they do play round 13. So if you are getting guys in for Manly that aren't going to be representative players, 
uh, and there isn't too many options, but there's a couple that we're going to talk about. Then they, they can hold them for the round 13 buy, which is pretty handy to have those guys in round one. So mixed bag with the draw, Billy. I don't think it starts particularly well. I really don't love that first month of footy with the Panthers and, and the Roosters up front. So not an easy start to the year. Yeah, it turns out all right, though. So it's like super coach-wise, you don't really have anyone there that's sort of base price or medium price. You really sort of want to run and play for that, uh, like a cheap sort of run anyway. So it's probably just more more um, uh, impacting, A, the start of the season for them, um, NRL-wise. And, you know, the calibre guys of the Tom and sort of Cherry that you sort of really want sort of big scores off. Maybe it takes a, a little bit off the top early, which forces a few decisions. Yeah, I mean, round three to six is a bit of a sweet spot. They do have, after the first two weeks, it hits the Dogs, Raiders, Knights and Titans. Now, no, I wouldn't say that those teams are terrible. I mean, certainly, definitely three out of those four could be pushing for the, for an eight spot and two of them made the eight last year. But it's a pretty good run for scoring points. So if you're looking for a positive early on, it's probably that round three to six time that non-turbo owners are going to be shaking in their boots a little bit. That won't be me. <laughs> well, we're going to get to that right now. So let's start having a look at these players. So if we're going to talk guns to start off with the Manly Seagulls, oh, there's one gun that is the gun of all guns, Tommy Turovich. Now, Turbo last year, it goes without saying that he was, it was the greatest super coach performance of all time by a long margin. His numbers, the tail of the tape, 143 points per game. And he played 15 matches which despite being out at the start of the year, is actually the most he's played in three years, with 2020 being seven games, 2019 being 12. The big thing is that really before this, his scores were all between 67 to 77, and it was pretty consistent. And certainly between 2017 and 2019, when he played more games than 2020, it was right around that 74 to 77 baseline. That's what he was averaging. So it did kind of come out of nowhere in a way, although scoring was obviously up and we're talking about one of the top two or three attacking teams in the competition. Some of the stats were downright scary, Billy. And I'm going to say outright, I do not have Turbo in my team and I'm not going to. Billy does. So this is going to be a really interesting conversation. When we're dissecting his season, clutch attack was just off the chain. 25 tries, 29 line breaks, 30 try assists, um, 44 line break assists. That's just unheard of. What that average out per game was like two try assists, three line break assists, two line breaks and one and a half tries every single game. That meant that he had three 200-plus scores. 11 out of his 15 scores were 100-plus. And his low of 40 was that one game and then everything else was 68-plus, the other 14 out of his 15. Obviously a captain every week, which is a huge plus and a positive for him. His BBA was 51, so that's his base-base attack. Uh, obviously, the offloads, tackle breaks, runs and tackles for him is just outstanding. He's getting 50s in his sleep. All sounds fantastic, Billy. Uh, and, you know, there isn't many bad things that you could say about Turbo's performance. He's going to cost you $1.25 million, and that's really the kicker for everyone. I don't think anyone's going to say it's bad to start with him. But it's a challenge when you're spending $1.25 which is why I'm not doing it, because I can see other value in the fullback spot. I'm going to leave you one little interesting stat, and then I'm going to pass over to you to just smash me why I should be owning him. But interesting with his draw last year, and he's a little bit nitpicky, but look, you've got to play devil's advocate a little bit. Last year, he only played the 15 games, right? It was a real soft 15-game run for Tommy Turbo. 
He played the Storm and Penrith only one game. Roosters and Souths, he didn't play at all. And those are the top four teams. Played the Dogs and Tigers twice, which were the two bottom teams, uh, plus Cows and Broncos as well. He managed to play both of them. So six out of his 15 games that he played last year were actually against bottom four teams, a stat that a lot of people wouldn't really look at or, or consider. Now, I'm not saying that it's going to make you know a massive difference. I'm not saying that he isn't matchup proof because he certainly is, um, but he did have a good run last year. Attack was up significantly, and I'm going to make the bold prediction he's not going to average 143 points again this year. But you're all over him, Billy. You have been from day one, and I I, I can't blame you, and I don't see that changing for you, obviously. Uh, just to add a bit of context on that, the 68 and the 87 that he scored versus Panthers in the Storm, he only scored one try. So he didn't score at all versus the Storm and still scored 87. So he's still going to go all right. Um, on the flip side of it, the big argument everyone has is, look, he's average 143. He's not going to do that. Rule changes. going to play a harder draw to start with. He's going to drop. Yeah, he's probably going to drop, but I'm more than happy to pay a premium price to guarantee 100, 110 captain every week. And you can't tell me that if he's going to drop in price that the other guys aren't going to drop as well. I know sort of someone like sort of Teddy might be undervalued because of the, the took sort of a tough year, no halves there. So he's obviously going to increase. But the flips, the other the other thing to add as well is you need to realise that Turbo might have averaged 143 throughout the year, but he averaged 162 in the second half of the year. So based on form, he has to drop 67 points on average to still average the same as, or if not more, than any other player in the comp. So, so he still has to score 67 points less than what he has been on average, which is 100, four or five times in a row, in order to reach a million dollars. You're still going to have to pay a million bucks for him. Where are you going to get the cash from when he gets that soft draw? And even if he does dip to that point where you think he's bottomed out at you know, 900 or a million bucks, are you going to have that cash on hand to buy him right when that right when he's going to have that huge break even? Are you going to buy him when he's going to break in even at 250 and score 250? Don't think so. Yeah, look, it's all really reasonable points. And even though I don't own him, I wouldn't say to anyone, like I wouldn't try and talk anyone out of owning him. You know, I don't. And I've said this many times and like it sort of um, frustrates me a little bit when when some people want to say that it's it's black and white decision to super coach. You know, some people will say, no, you have to own this player or no, you can't own this player. It's not like that with some players and it's especially not like that with Turbo. If you've got him, I, I think it's perfectly fine. Uh, he's going to still be a phenomenal player this year. Um, if you don't have him, I think it's perfectly fine, provided that you make the right decisions with your team with not owning Turbo. Uh, and those right decisions for me, Billy, love you to critique them, but I've got Teddy and Paps. The reason I've got Teddy and Paps is because I think they're both undervalued. I think that they could both, in the first couple of months in the season in particular, when, Teddy's, when Teddy and Paps have got a, probably a better draw than what Turbo has, first couple of months they could average 110. Um, and even if Turbo still goes great guns, he might be 120 points. And if he does that, he's going to be 10 points better than them. But the dollars that you're saving against either having a Teddy instead or a Paps instead is just much more than 10 points a game because you're putting that money elsewhere. And I think that's what some people need to understand. Like if you make some poor decisions and don't have Turbo, it's really going to cost you. But if you spend that money well and on the right players and certainly at fullback, I think... Paps and Teddy are the right players because they can give you value and they can stay 
close enough to turbo for a period, particularly that first couple of months, then I think that you're winning on not having turbo. So uh, that's where I'm coming at it from. Perhaps we'll be next to right here, Turbo. That, that's an absolute no-brainer, but everyone's going to have him, so it's more so the, the conversation around the secondary spot. He'll, he'll do 110 standing on his head. We had this discussion last year, and I think our um, our, um, our, our passive-aggressive uh, discussion was, I, I bet he would average 110. You disagreed. Um, he didn't average 110 because of the injuries, but if you go and have take all the games out where he only played a full game, he would ride on 110. So he's already done it, and that was that was that was with sort of hit and miss games. So he, he's a no-brainer. Um, Teddy, on the other hand, uh, I think the last two years, maybe three years, he's actually come out come out of the blocks, averaging 130 for the first five games. So he, he's done it. Yep. Back to back to back. The, the only reason he dropped is because of you know the, the halfback situation and the fact that he kind of usually does it anyway as it sort of approaches orange and it gets to the tie. So Tom just had one of those freakish years. So I've got no no hesitation to tell you I'll come out of the box again. I just a don't trust uh, the health of Kiri as well as the health of Teddy's knee as well as him being a little bit bigger. Um, uh, hang on, hang on. I, I've got to stop there for a minute. You're going to question trusting the health of Teddy when Tom Trebojevic is is the most injury prone fullback out of all the top fullbacks. The difference there is Teddy is currently injured and just came off whatever knee surgery he had in the off season. Tom isn't. That's the difference. No, I think that's getting overblown a little bit. I, I understand why you bring it up, but that's it's just a procedure. It's not really an injury. It's just maintenance. Yeah, pro- 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 probably not. That, that's just it's not the main reason. It's just a subtle reason. Um, the main the main reason is just the, the Tom factor. Look, even even if he doesn't score 143, you can't tell whether he's not going to he's not going to outscore everyone else in the comp anyway, or at least be close to it. So it's almost a guaranteed see every week, which which, which he would just do anyway. Can be. Even if it doesn't work and I lose, you know, sort of 200 grand on him, I'm still going to be guaranteeing myself 100 points per week, and I'm taking and and I'm, I'm taking a stab at having a 10 percent ownership of the best player in the comp. What 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 more of a pod do you want? Oh, it's a great pod. Look, it's a great pod option if it pays off as a pod. I, I don't actually think that he's going to be a pod. Like, do you do you think that he's going to remain sub 10 percent? Like, because at the moment he's 11 percent and climbing. It looks like. Well, the people that are addicted to this thing and do it for fun are all doing their teams now. So it's based off stats now. Anyone that, anyone that starts, not, let me rephrase it. Most people that start putting a team together between now and the start of the comp aren't ones that are as excited as us or spend as much time on it. Yeah, I'm sure there's like really some brilliant super coaches out there that, you know, enjoying their summer and it's waiting until the last minute. But the majority of people that are insane about this thing have already put a team together. And those numbers are based off those stats. Yep. All right. Well, I mean, he's eleven percent at the moment. I reckon that he's going to be sort of sixteen to eighteen percent ownership. I'm going to have a guess. Possibly. I reckon when when the the team lists come out and all of a sudden a few TPs get named, it's maybe a little bit more possible for someone, particularly with you know a couple of second row sort of injuries and movements, and maybe people might start doing it. Um, especially so if Cleary for some reason is named. I reckon that sort of doubles. Yeah. I mean, so big question for you then. Like, I don't think he's going to average 143. I just don't think it's going to happen. I reckon he's going to average about 120. So I agree that he's still going to be up there. Yeah. Where are you pegging his average at? I agree about that. But with the 
with the caveat that you know, he, he still possibly might score, you know, a, a two hundred here and there, which is why I'm taking the taking the punt and paying the paying, I'm paying a price for the extra score league doubles, basically. Yeah, and look, he's it's it's not just the amount of tons he had. The the two hundreds are a big deal because they're they're very very rare. He's got a two hundred twenty nine, a two hundred twenty six, and a two hundred eight there. You know, three times out of fifteen, he scored two hundred plus. So that is huge. Um, I'm going to throw another hypothetical at you. Turbo yep. gets injured to start the year. You've got him round one. Yep. He gets hurt round two. He's out two weeks. You're going to hold 1.25 million for two, maybe three weeks, or is your plan to parachute out and grab one of the other fullbacks, get him back later, type of thing? And the same question though: if he is going to lose heaps of value, so say he comes out those first two rounds and he's going to drop like 200k you know, first price drop, are you going to parachute out and go back in later? Uh, depends on the situation. More than likely, yes. It's an, e- it's an easy exit and come back in. Like, it's it's the quickest way in the world to make sort of 300 grand, isn't it? Because if he gets injured, he's going to get injured on, you know, 40 or something. So that's going to blow him right out. Um, secondly, if it's only a, a week or so, depending on the lineup, maybe not. Um, I'm going to be arrogant here and see my team's bitching, so I've got plenty of depth. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're spending, spending all that cash on turbo. I don't know, but we'll see. Um, look, nah, I've got a good spine, mate. I, I don't. The, the way I, the way I structure my team every year is try to fit every volatile person in there that I think will hurt me if I don't own, own them. Um, Cleary is the only one I don't know. So, I mean, in summary, we could talk about turbo forever. Uh, I think we both agree that he's not going to average 143 points, uh, and we both probably agree that there's not really a right or wrong answer if you're going to start with him or not. Um, I He's going to be near the top. He's probably going to be the number one player. He's certainly going to be the top three players. I think the, the reasons for me in quick summary to not start with him are other guys can come within 10 points, especially that first couple of months of the season, uh, perhaps Teddy is the examples, and starting off with the Roosters and Penrith is an ideal for him. Uh, it doesn't have the softest draw right at the very front end of the games. So I think that's good enough reasons to be able to zag away from having Turbo, but certainly there's enough reasons to to go for Turbo as well. You're going to get one of the best players in the game that you can captain every single week because he never has a bad week unless he gets hurt. So going to be interesting to see how he backs up this season. And I'm going to say, Billy, it's going to be interesting to see how Manly back up that season because I don't think anyone expected Manly to go that well. Yeah, I know. I'll tell you what, it's it's, it's going to really, really be painful for me seeing his, his break-even at the 300 in the second week because I, I know for a fact he's not going to score 150 in those first two weeks. I'm just paying a lot of money to make sure I get 100 each week because even though Teddy's average 130, he, he's come out with a stinker like a, 20, a 25 or a 35 at least once in the first three weeks of the last four years. So <laughs> maybe you just chuck it on Pappy. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, it's the other... The other thing that I think from a real football perspective is interesting is, um, you know, there was a couple of games and certainly in the semifinals we saw it where you know, teams kind of stacked on Turbo a little bit defensively and how they handled him. And I certainly thought that more teams needed to do that because Manly are a side which really, you know, we said they're like your super coach side, Billy. It's Turbo and DCE and they don't really have a lot else of class or, or strike or creativity in their team. You know, everything comes from those two guys. So if one of them's out or you just nullify, you know, a turbo somewhat, you're not going to stop him, but if you nullify him, then Manly really struggles, you know, and you can challenge turbo a bit more than maybe some of those games last year. 
I'm wondering because we just saw a full-blown tur- turbo season where he's just killed everyone, whether there's a lot of teams that have done video on him and, and as some smart coaches, especially from the top four or five teams that are going to kind of neutralise him a bit more than what we saw last year. He's one of those players that's that good, though. Like, the guy is, what, six foot four, six foot six, however many kilos, and he stops something like that. It's He's just too big and strong, mate. And um, what's his name? Um, guy made a really, really good point today in one of the threads I was reading. He said, Manly just have such a good um, balance for Turbo in that Cherry just covers that right side and does his thing and allows having no real sort of five-eighth on the left that really sort of known for dominance. Um, or sorry, other half on the left. It's not really known for dominance. Just um, allows Tom to basically take control of the left side and do whatever he wants. So he basically gets the ball all the time as well as the kick returns. And with Cherry doing whatever he, whatever he wants on the right, Tom can easily chime in for a sort of you know, a fullback sweep play and just give, give the ball out to Saab. So he's basically got, basically got free range of the entire field. Yeah, the, one of the things that Dez has done really well is that um, I, d- I don't like a lot of Manly's team, but they perform better than I like them because they fit well with each other. And, you know, it doesn't mean that I think they're very top-heavy. If you get one of those top guys out there in big trouble, but it all fits really well together, like you're saying. So it's they've done a good job with that. I do think there's an inkling of a chance that they have a bit of a, a drop this season. Um, I'm still picking them as a top six, seven side, even if they sort of drop, but there is a chance that they might struggle a bit more than what they actually saw last year. So I, I am very interested to watch them. Let's let's move on. Let's talk about somebody else. Good, because I think we just broke our Kane Evans <laughs> Daily Cherry Evans is the other big gun for Manly. Now, he had a really good season and he certainly... At one point in the year, I really wanted to buy him and I didn't do it. And I was saying on the podcast, it might have been one with you, that I really like him as a buyer. And he went out there and he just brained it. You know, he had a phenomenal run coming out of that uh, buy period where he went like 148, 85, 119 and 172. And I was just absolutely spewing because they're all key. They're all great matchups. It was like Cowboys, Titans, Bulldogs, Tigers. And he just went bang, 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 bang. And it was just a killer run to not have him on. He's certainly one of those guys that can do that. He averaged 79 points a game. And again, this is another one of those massive outliers. Like we've spoken about that many backs where their scores haven't really gone up much. They've kind of stayed the same. Whereas you look at this Manly side and you really see where the NRL's highest scoring season came from because Terry Evans from 2017 to 2020, average points were 62, 62, 62. Three years in a row averaging exactly 62. 2020, 64. And then he goes up to 79. You know, it was a massive, massive jump for him. And when you're breaking it down, it was really quite interesting when I was looking at the numbers. Seven out of his 21 games, so 33%, were tons. He was tonning up one every three games on average. And I think it's hard. Yeah. But, but then when you look at it a little bit more, he also had a heap of stinkers. So like four out of his 22 games were sub 30. And nine out of 22, so about 40 plus percent, was sub 50. So it's really strange because his BBA, his base base attack was 40, which is really good. And it's one of always the the positives for owning Cherry Evans is that he's got a pretty good base base attack for a half. So you're going to get your 40 plus. But, you know, he had either real big games or absolute stinkers most of the time. He didn't have a lot of in between. And that's pretty scary to own. It is... I dare say if his name was SJ, everyone would be bringing out the whole roller coaster again and, and telling everyone that he's a roller coaster because he really was a little bit. And looking at the draw, his first two games, like we said, 
Panthers and Roosters, right? Panthers last year, Terry Evans, 26 points and 34 points in his two games with Penrith. Against the Roosters, 28 points. Um, of course, round three, he's going to hit the dogs and he went 119 and 132. So he's certainly going to have the bigger ones in him. But I think that the story that the stats kind of tell you is that he's going to absolutely carve the shit teams. And against the really good teams, he's actually got a propensity to throw up some really, really low scores. So Cherry Evans is going to come in this year and he's going to cost you 695000 So obviously coming off a career year, he's going to be hugely expensive. I would say that most people would view him as the second best halfback option to Cleary. So if Cleary's out, some people are going to be looking at him. He's only 4% owned at the moment. If Cleary's ruled out, I'm sure that he'll be getting a bit higher. But yeah, Terry Evans is a bit of an enigma for Supercoach when you look at those numbers, Billy. What do you make of him for the 2022 season? He's one of those guys you probably want to wait till later in the season on when he sort of finds a bit of form, a little bit of a soft run, and then you jump him in. I think he's a bit too expensive to sort of buy out right now. He's not, he doesn't, he's not someone that you can rely on as much as sort of Cleary week in, week out. This sort of kicks goals and this sort of 90, 90% sort of accuracy. Um, there's a different there's a different level of halfbacks in the game when it comes to super coach. There's your JTs and then there's everyone else. He's probably more I was gonna say Kronk then that's probably wrong. He's not in the Kronk category. He's I'm trying to think of a half. Like he's swings and roundabouts. Like he, he's not a, he's not a he's not a, an SJ where it's like a ten or two hundred and ten. It's 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 more of an organizing forty or you know, momentum plays. I think he thrives on momentum for Manny because he doesn't do anything really sort of fantastic. It's just more, here's a short ball, here's a long ball, and he just puts guys in gaps. But he needs to find runs of three or four games where he gets two or three of those per game and momentum. Because once that momentum stops, so does the score. Yeah, I don't think you can look at him for round one. Those two matchups in his history and the propensity for low scores, starting off with those two sides, I think it rules him out because of his price point and his draw to start with and how he can have those low scores. So I'm with Billy on this one. I think that you need to wait. He, Cherry Evans is always going to have his time every season where you can grab him for a run. The run's not going to be for round one paying top dollar for him. Uh, I'm going to hazard a guess he doesn't average 79 points a game either. Uh, a bit of a controversial gun discussion, Billy. Our controversial chat for this manly side is going to be, I really don't like Ruben Garrick this year. And that to some people might sound like a given because he's 767,000 as a centre wing, but he is in 6% of teams, which is, you know, 50% more than what Cherry Evans is owned. And he's coming off a year where he's averaged 87 and a half points per game. So there's no way around the fact that Ruben Garrick absolutely killed it last year. When we're looking at the numbers, base base attack was okay. 37. He doesn't really offload. He's got some tackle breaks. Uh, and his work rate is average. It always has been. But when you're delving into it a bit more, like you can compare him to someone like Toto. Toto was a 57 base base attack. Someone that's good, like Tupo, is a 42. So his base base attack really isn't going to get you a lot of points generally. Where all his points are coming from is, is crazy. 60% of his points for the season were made up from his goals, his line breaks, and his tries. 21 tries for the year. 43 line breaks, which is insane, and 110 goals because he was in the third top scoring team in the competition. Now, pretty much all that screams that all of his value is tied to him scoring a ton of points. He's got to score tries and be kicking a lot of goals. 
Manly might do that, but like I said before, I don't actually think they're going to repeat the season that they had. I think they're going to come down a little bit. And if they do, it's going to hurt Ruben Garrick more than anybody because most of his value, if not all of it, is based on scoring. And when you look at the games where he wasn't really scoring, you know, they're not great. Got to be fair to Ruben though, Billy. You know, he's he's had some massive games. You go through the big ones, 113, 105, 128, 106, 156, 169, 110, 110, 199, 125. He was killing it for a third of those games. But the ones where he doesn't, you know, they're, they're pretty damn average. So he's averaged almost 88 points a game coming off seasons of 41 and 52. I don't think there's any way that Ruben's going to average 88. Can you see any way in the world anyone could start with him round one? And I'm going to go a step further and say, can you even see him backing up being a top three or four centre wing again? Uh, I can. I just can't see it straight away. Um, not with that draw. He's hit. Kind of like last year, he's going to have a sort of um, ease into it, then just get absolutely fed to the high heaven, mate. I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, sorry, I don't have anything else to add apart from he doesn't have kick returns, he doesn't really have sort of any tackle bus. When he, when he, when he's running down the flank, getting fed by Tom Shaw, but is he going to get two a game again? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, look, if 58% of the time in 2021, he went 60 plus, 2020, it was 12% of the time. Like, and obviously, Turbo being out kills him, but like, Turbo's going to miss time, you know, in the middle of the year because of origin. If he cops an injury as well, it's going to completely kill Ruben Garrick, too. It's, it's a shame he's so expensive because it's a guy like Teddy, you can kind of offset by getting a bloke like, you know, Suada, whoever's going to play right wing for the Chooks because you know, if Teddy's on, that's the side they go and he just gets fed. It's unfortunate that Garrick is so expensive because if you didn't own sort of um, Trebojevic and you were concerned about it, you could just get that left-hand winger going, look, if, if Ted's going to be on fire, then this bloke's going to be the, 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 the recipient. So you can kind of offset some of the loss. But um, yeah, I think given he's so bloody expensive, mate, you can't go near him. No, you, he's an absolute no-go zone, Ruben Garrick. You just can't do it. And on top of that, in draft, just making sure that we hit on draft as well. You know, Cherry Evans and... and and Turbo in draft, I think, are going to maintain about the same type of value. Um, someone like Garrick, you would like to target in draft, even though you're not going to in classic. And you're just not going to be able to, because I think he's just going to be reached way too high in draft for a centre wing. And you just don't want to be taking him in sort of around four or five um, in, in drafts. And I think a lot of the time people are going to reach for him, maybe in around five, and I think it's going to be too high. Got the propensity for the big scores. So it's going to be great um, when he hits those. But He's a prime candidate, Billy, to just let him bleed cash. Hopefully, after the first two weeks, like he could throw up a, a 22 and a 38 or something against the Panthers and Roosters. And he's just going to bleed. And you can just wait and just grab him for a plush run, um, especially with Manly playing that round 13 by. You know, target him a couple of months in. You could probably get him to even 300K cheaper if he has a bad run. Oh, yeah, sure. Like he's going to drop significant cash, but just when. All right, well, let's move along. So Ruben Garrick, we both agreed there's a big cross through him. A couple of other controversial ones. You know, he's other wing partner, Saab. I've been seeing a few teams suddenly looking at Saab, and I'm going to say that it's probably because they thought, oh, I want a piece of that manly side. Ruben Garrick's like double the price of Saab, who's only about 400K. So maybe I'm going to go for Saab. I saw teams trading in Saab last year and I for the life of me couldn't understand it. Like it seemed that there was this big narrative built around Saab Billy that he was just gunning it because it was in this manly team with Turbo. And like he did a lot of plays that looked great, but you know, he had 
a lot of tries, but some of those try scoring sprees, you know, he had a his first try of the year ended up being forty five point super coach game. The the week after, he scored his second and third try by scoring a double in round six, and he scored forty four points. It doesn't even matter about the tries. You know, he needed four tries in round nine to hit 94. He couldn't even turn up with it. You know, it's just, he had a couple of big scores, 162 and and a bang on 100, but that was it as far as the tons. You know, 29% of the time he went 60 plus. So one in three games, he was under 60 and even more than that. And he just had absolute dirt base, 18 for base, which everybody knows his base base attack is terrible. I am seeing some teams look at him potentially as a Ruben Garrick replacement. Uh, I'm I'm going to say outright both wingers should be no-goes, even at 400K-ish, Billy. I, I don't think there's any value starting with a sub because this this round one, I reckon we got heaps and heaps of options around that four to 500K mark in Supercoach. Yeah, I was surprised how well he actually did towards the end of the year because, like, like you said, the guy, he was kind of like Staines. Like he'd, he'd score two tries and then still be on sort of sub 50. So you couldn't play him at all. But then I think it was Tim, Tim the winner actually sort of did. He just held him, I don't know why, and then got to the point where they just went on absolute soft run and yeah, four tries in the game will do it for you, won't it? <laughs> I just, I, I, I just, I, I think they just, they figured out how to find him towards the end. But, oh, mate, it's zero work rate. Just, he basically turned, it, the start of the year, you can see what, you could see why the Dragons let him go. He just did nothing. And then all of a sudden, he just... <laughs> kind of like Garrett without the goal kick, he just kept falling out of that line. I didn't realise how quick he was because you, you don't see how fast he's moving through the area. So bloody tall. Yeah, he's very fast. I mean, you're going you're gonna to spend 415K on him and the first two weeks, he might give you a 40 points total. And it's a crazy stat for you to finish up on Saab because I don't think we need to talk about him much. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't be targeting him with the other guys that you can get instead. But... Ben Travojevic is the highest owned centre wing for Manly at 38% at the moment. Jason Sabi is the second highest owned centre wing at 7% and the highest owned backline player out of their heart, aside from halves and fullback for the Manly Seagulls. So there is some teams jumping on him. Um, I'd be jumping right off and looking at some other options because there's some really good ones. We're going to talk about some fallen guns now. And we talk about these two, I feel like, for the last three years. It's been coming every year. To Powell and Gerbo, you know, it's it's always a sad day when you have guns, guys that have come through in years past, have battled for a decade with you, and you just don't want to let go of the nostalgia. But I tell you what, you've got to let go of these guys because they, they've shown again that you just you can't trust putting them in your team. And I think that they do suck some people in because both of them are going to kind of look cheap. So, I mean, when you're looking at Marty Tapau, he's going to come in at only 510000 and for a guy with his pedigree, you're going to think that's a decent price point. Likewise, when you look at Gerbo, you know, he's going to come in at sub 500, 491,000. And you'll get some people that will look at him the same as what they'll look at a, a Lolo and go, oh, look, he can get the form back. He's only 490,000. You know, that could be value. There isn't much downside. Both of these guys really plot along at the moment. When you look at 58 points a game for Tapao, only 35% of his games, he went 60 plus. You know, it was very much a lot of 40s and 50s. He wasn't really hitting 60 much at all. And the same for Gerbo when you have a look at him. Billy, I know that you don't like these guys. Um, we need to talk about them though, because they could trap a few super coaches just because of the name value. And every year it happens. And every year I do hit listeners who 
yeah, and it's fine to have different opinions. And and I've said to many people, look, if you really like Gerbo, you know, don't don't worry about me. You go for it. You got to listen to your gut. But inadvertently, it never works out great. Gerbo, uh, forty percent of the time, he went sixty plus. So you know, almost two thirds of the time, he couldn't give you sixty. Had no tons. His high score was ninety one, and then his second and third high scores were seventy seven and seventy three, and then he was flat out getting to sixty. Yeah, great base at 50. That's nice. He's got nothing else in his game at the moment. So even though those guys are between 490 and, and 510, Billy, in price tag for round one, I just think that there's way better value and you just have to avoid those two. Yeah, same call as last year. Last year, we said don't buy him at all. What have been the year before? So they're going to be terrible. And if you have a look at his... Uh, price, he actually dropped price every single week the entire year, never increased once, just got degeneratively worse. <laughs> degeneratively worse. He reminds me of a, a Sean Fenson, like a sluggish Sean Fenson, basically with um, the flop rule changes gone. With the flops, maybe sort of 70, 65, 70 points a game. Without the flops, he's, he's stuck on his 50 base, no attack, nothing else, no offload. Like he, he's, His first year was great, like he just seemed to have a bit more attack and he went looking for his brother. But now it's just, he's just a good old reliable sort of tackle, like defensive guy in the middle. That's it. Yeah, exactly. And look, his, his value to Manly is a lot better than his value is to Supercoach. And if you look at his price, like Billy said, you know, he came in last year and people thought it was going to be reasonable value. And we had these same conversations. The first nine rounds of last year, he dropped in value every week. So, you know, he, he lost 100K in the first two months of last season. And, yeah, he didn't ever get that back. He was always that price thereabouts or cheaper. Yeah, at one point he was 390000 last year. That's the type of guy that you're going to get again, if not worse. So I know that these guys were good before. Um, they, they might have some runs where, you know, they go okay. He scored a double last round, Jerbo. So maybe people are reminiscing that he might be able to get the try scoring back again. Not going to happen, guys. Let's move along, Billy. We're now going to talk about Big Balls Pods. And this is one of my favorite up and coming forwards. I really love this bloke. And uh, Ola Kawatu is a guy that's a real bolter. He's got some very astute super coaches extremely interested. Uh, and I can see why. He's going to cost you 512000 as a second-row forward. So not necessarily cheap, but not hugely expensive. Coming off a year where he's averaged 58 points. Now, probably the biggest thing with him is when you're looking at Alakwatu, I really think that he passes the eye test for me. And that's probably the thing that gets me most excited about him and makes me look at him in super coach. Just looks like a guy that should have really good tackle breaks, should be able to offload a bit more. He was scoring some barnstorming tries. He just looked like one of those young up-and-coming, you know, freight train, Tomalolo types um, that could really shake up as an edge back row if he's starting round one, which it looks like that he will. The reality didn't actually translate that well to super coach in a lot of ways when you look at the numbers. So when he was starting on an edge playing 70 plus minutes, he had a 67 average, which is really good, but his base doesn't actually really go up very much, which I found really interesting. You know, so when you're comparing when he was on the bench and playing a few less minutes, he still had around a 38 raw base. He's, he's going to get a, a base base attack of around about 45 for you starting on an edge. You know, it's, it's not phenomenal. I really thought that his offloads and his tackle breaks were a lot better until I actually had a look at it. And when you're having a look at that second half run where he started for 12 games at the second half of the season, he had eight tries in that 12 game, game run. Like when you look at that, you just sort of go, oh, 
I know Melly score points. I know this guy can go over the line, but he's probably not going to score, you know, at that strike rate as a starting forward, eight out of 12 games scoring a try. Yeah, I don't see it. So when I was looking at him, Billy, he almost reminded me a little bit of, uh, of my other flame, Satili Tupanua. You know, he's got that. He does actually have quite a low um, score in him. He needs to score the tries to really pump it up, except he doesn't really seem to have those 125 point, you know, or even 100 plus games with no tons last year that Satili can do. And Satili's a bit cheaper. So I really want to fall in love with Olakowatu. I do think that he's going to be a bit of a big balls pod that might pay off only because he might get better as a footballer. But just on the numbers, it doesn't quite back it up. Yeah, same for me, mate. Um, I actually didn't realise his average was, was was that high. I thought he had some decent scores in there. But, yeah, all, all inflated. I think the difference is that your uh, Manly Blake on the edge just has more more consistency in there. Um, probably probably a, a better draw. Uh, probably known, known for a bit more attack. Um, just out of curiosity, though, could you? I haven't got the numbers in front of me. What's the difference in in price tag between those two, Tupinua and Ola? I'm not even going to try to pronounce that, dude. You got it. <laughs> Ola Kwatu. Well, we've got Ola Kwatu, uh, who was affectionately known in some circles as Holy Moly last year, at five hundred and twelve thousand. And if you have a look at Satili Tupinua as a different option, he's going to cost you four hundred eighty-two thousand. So you're going to save about thirty k between the two of them. I think, two, two, I think Tupanua is going to score more points and he's less. So I think it's probably a no-brainer there. But we're talking about Manly. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, mate. A lot of that was attack, whereas I think the propensity of attack, the likelihood of attack is going to be repeated more with um, Tupanua on, on the edge as opposed, as opposed to this bloke. So for that reason only, I wouldn't go in. But if, you go, if you're looking for a way to absolutely squeeze Cleary as well as... Um, Turbo and Pappy in your, in your team. Um, that means you really need to go really light in the second row. No, that means no David for feet of you. Your second row would possibly look like Alakawatu, Tupanua, Aitken, or whoever the cheap bloke is for um, the Broncos and maybe may sort of get a run if you're lucky with one of those pick your kids or whatever you call it, taking off one of those other guys. That's what your second row is going to look like. Yeah, I think that the, the biggest problem for him for round one is that he did get that opportunity last year. You know, he's he's already priced on a 58 average of 71 minutes a game because he had that big run of games that he got to start and play decent minutes in. So it, it kind of killed him having that. You know, if he was, you know, priced on 60 minutes and a 50 score, you know, I think that you could, I think he'd look a hell of a lot better and I'd be probably all over him. Yeah. He had a few lower minute games though. So if you think uh, his average, his average was sixty seven in games over sort of seventy minutes. So if you think he's going to somehow maintain that or actually play eighty minutes, then he's probably undervalued by maybe sort of ten points, given that his season average average fifty eight. But look, if, if he plays the full season, even if he doesn't score as much clutch as last year, he's basically priced bang on what he should be because you're taking some of that clutch out. Like he, I'm sure he can maintain the fifty eight. Yeah, for sure. And look, it's one of those things where you need to compare it to guys around a similar price. You know, you've got Ryan Madison within 50K, um, 60K up. You can go to a Curran or or a TPJ um, looking close at his price point. There's a few other guys that are pretty interesting as well. Um, even though I said you and Aitken, I'd rather at centre wing. You know, if you had to put him at secondary forward, I think he's going to have less value there, but I still think he's going to be better than Olakowatu. 
Tom Lolo could have a bounce back season. He's less money. So Tilly Tupanua is less money if you want a guy that's going to rely on attack just like Holy Moly will. You know, I, I think there's a lot of options around that price point. If Jai Ari is playing 80 minutes on an edge, he's going to be a full 70K less than what he is. So I just think that he got priced out of the market for round one, even though I think he'll go well and really like him. But if you go for him, he could go on a bit of a try scoring run. He could keep it up and he could score really well still. For me, Billy, two times to target this guy, though, for me. I'm going to be targeting him for that for that buy. Uh, and certainly in a couple of months, I'm hoping that he's going to drop a bit of cash and I can at some point get him in real cheap. Uh, and certainly in draft, those those middle to mid-late rounds in draft, he's going to be gold. I'm going to really enjoy owning him in draft if I can get him. Yeah, honestly, mate, I hadn't even thought about the time to get him at all. I haven't even tried a team anywhere near him. Um, for me, he was just more of a... Uh, a few, a few lines and a few stats reading in an article and moving on to the next play. I haven't even really thought much about him at all. He's starting to get a bit of a cult following. I think I'm getting a little bit hypnotised by him. Um, but I, I really like him as a prospect. Holy moly. He, he's great. But let's move on to mids and cheapies, mate, because there's one that's really come along. Now, obviously now, because of uh, Josh Schuster's uh, unfortunate injury, he's going to be out to start the year. And somebody's going to have to play that edge back row role. Now, we're not sure who it will be. Uh, this talk, it might be Davey. Uh, Davey's going to be coming off an ACL, though. So I'm going to guess that it's probably not going to be him. Uh, one of the current guys that's hot on some of the predicted team lists that are being redone now is Lawton. And I actually really like Lawton as an option because when you're having a look at it, unlike Holy Moly, he isn't a bloke that's, that got priced out by playing too many big-minute games. So... Having a look at Carl Lawton, his season reads like 44 minutes a game, which is where he's priced at, and a 40-point score per game. He only played the 13 games as well. He wasn't in the side for the first half of the year. Now, if you break that down to what he was doing when he started, he actually had five out of his 13 games where he played 70-plus minutes on the edge, and he averaged 67 points in those five games. It's a reasonable sample size. He did have two tries in those five games, but that's much less of a strike rate than what uh, Ola Kuatu is. And when you're having a look at his price point, that's when it gets really interesting as a mid-range guy that could make some money. Lawton is going to come in and start potentially costing you only $347,000. So if he averages a 67, like he showed that he could, then all of a sudden he's going to be hugely undervalued. Um, you could make 150 k pretty quickly out of that. And that's where it becomes really good value for money to look at a Carl Lawton in your side. I'm actually going to be considering him. Um, I had a couple of chats with a few people um, on different team builds, um, a few other podcasters as well. Uh, and, you know, the really interesting feedback and things. I was interested about it because some of them had Aitken at second row forward um, and a few other things. And they're all saying, look, I, I can't see some definite uh, value at that sort of 300 to 350K mark for my forward pack. So I need to have all those guys sort of center wings in that price point. This is a guy that might come along and be that value guy at 347000 that you can put in sec- secondary forward. So I quite like him if he's going to start and get those big minutes on the edge, Billy. Certainly fluctuates with his stats. Like in those in those sort of five bigger minute games, he tackles like his tackle count 20, 25, 28, 37, 47. So he's averaging sort of 30 tackles a game. His hit-ups are averaging sort of around sort of 15-ish. So 30 tackles a game, 15 hit-ups. There's 35 base, you know, um, you know, throwing a couple of his tackles, a couple of errors, which he doesn't really seem to do. Um, 
you're pretty much getting sort of 40 ish off him without sort of adding any sort of line breaks in. So he's pretty much in that tupreneur type sort of category priced at a, what is he priced at, priced at the 40? So, so he's, he's priced at basically just being on the field for sort of 70, 70 minutes doing nothing. So certainly undervalued. Um, the only question I have, mate, is I had a look at the minutes rotation for Manly, and obviously Holy Molly um, was always sort of playing 80. Um, oh, it was Schuster, wasn't it? That's right. I was trying to explain what the rotation was with the with the others with the other edgy because I couldn't find any other edgy basically playing more than sort of thirty minutes. I know why. It's because Schuster was listed in the six hole, <laughs> but he's playing twelve. That's why. That's that's <laughs> what it was. Yeah, yeah. Talk it out. Good stuff, Bill. Well done. We can edit that, edit that stupidity out of a podcast. <laughs> time. Well, I think one of the good things about um, about Manly is that a lot like it's pretty much a given that they're going to have like a Dylan Walker in the 14 jumper, uh, which means they're, they're going to have at least two, if not three other middle forwards. So, I mean, like a lot of the teams at the moment have like a Dylan Walker, Kepi, Bullimore, Sipley bench. Um, and maybe Sipley comes out for somebody else, but it's, it's pretty much around that type of bench area. And, and that bodes well for the the two edges to probably get 70 plus minutes. Um, because I don't, I don't think any of those guys are going to come in and really take minutes off him. Yeah. Well, the uh, the what the one game that he played eleven as opposed to twelve. That's where his tackle count went up massively. Massively. So I'm not I'm not sure uh, who was out that round and, and whether it whether he plays right or left. I really really struggle with centers and second rowers, mate. I got no idea which side eleven is and which side the three and the four is these days. They just mix it up. <laughs> Uh, well, look, it's three hundred forty-seven thousand. Do you think he's worth it from round one? If he's named as a starter on an edge, you can just sort of hope. Oh, oh yeah, huh? mate, hundred percent. If he's named as a starter on the edge, for sure. Um, do you know if he's actually got the jewel again this year? Because he was second row hooker last year. Has he still got that? Or I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the things I love the most because you could go uh, cheap hooker options if you wanted and go Randall and Lawton in the early rounds and have them both at hooker because he is a dual hooker, second row forward, which is really valuable. Yeah, so if you wanted to get the leg up early, you could not go the Harry Grant option, save yourself sort of you know, 300k or something or other. And then, I mean, who knows? Grant might end up getting the same sort of minutes last year and rotating with the cheese. I don't think it'll happen, but it gives you a bit of time to sort of think about it and a start around one. Yeah, I mean, you could get like three price rises out of Lawton before Schuster comes back and um, then end up getting 150k out of it if he goes really well. And it's a quick trade out, you know, and you could trade him to a, a cook or a grand or someone like that straight out of hooker and make that extra money to go that straight trade. Yeah. And look, even if even if Grant comes in and kills it and increases 200 grand in price, Lawton's going to increase 200 grand in price as well and score points. And the money that you save by, by buying Lawton as opposed to Grant allows you to get points elsewhere as well. So put you in front. 100% agree. Really like him as an option if he's starting there, um, provided he's getting the minutes. But I'm going to assume that he will if he's got the starting ju- jumper. Um, Bullimore is the other guy that's been really interesting as a mid-cheapie. So at the moment, to give you a bit of perspective, Billy, Carl Lawton is only 2% owned. Granted, it's sort of only been you know the last week or two that he's been looking at getting big minutes. Um, Bullimore is much, much more owned. So I'm really shocked at the amount of people that are on Bullimore, to be honest. He's 24% owned at the moment. A lot of coaches on him. He's a dual front row forward, second row forward. 
Uh, so I get it. Everyone's putting him in their front row because there isn't many cheap front row options and no one wants to spend there. Kind of makes sense. But when you have a look at it, look, he's not, it's not like he's bottom dollar. He's 280,000. That's not heaps expensive, but he needs to be getting an increase in minutes and roll. He averaged 25 minutes a game last year for 30 points a game. I'm not sure how much more he could look at. Uh, maybe he could look at 30 minutes a game. I'd probably peg him at, and that's going to be maybe 35 points if he's lucky. That's not going to be enough. You kind of need him to be sort of a 45-minute role would be ideal, and I don't think he's going to get it. So I'm a, I'm a little bit torn on this one because everybody seems to be jumping on him and really like him, and I just don't really see it. He had two games last year where he, where he played 40-plus minutes. And in those games, he scored 32 and 38 points. So he didn't really do very well. The year prior, he had a 40-minute game for 18 points and a 69-minute game for 52 points, although that 69-minute game was starting on the edge. But, you know, the last couple of years, and he only has a young career, so there's not a lot of data to take from, but the four times where he started and he sort of played 40-plus minutes, he hasn't really been able to score a lot more than when he plays the lower minutes. And on that manly bench... You know, with other guys like Kepi that are going to play in the middle and get their minutes and stuff and are quite good young players. He might be a slow burn, Billy, but he also might be a, a never-was-burn that kind of goes 75K and you've got to get rid of him eight weeks in after holding him. So maybe some teams are happy to do that because there's nothing else to spend on in front row forward. I'm just finding it really hard to sell myself on him. Yeah, um, I wouldn't be trying to sell him. <laughs> the, thing, the thing with Manly is they remind me of sort of... um. Canberra, mate, there's, doesn't matter how good your forward is, they always play 35 minutes, 20 minutes, or 45 minutes. There's no freaking value in them. You can't find one bloke that's, that's going to be the alpha that's going to go, yeah, that's my man. I mean, even you look at the Tigers, like you've got a guy like Stefano, who's like, you know, an, like an alpha and he's dominant, but it just doesn't <laughs> get those big five, six, seven minutes away from being big minutes. So for a bloke that's on the bench at Manly in a team that doesn't have that high rotation in minutes, it's really hard. It's really hard to get him in your team, particularly when they're a slow burn guy. So you're screwed either way. It's a slow burn cash, and the objective is to try and get it quickly, if possible. And secondly, they're slow burn because they're not scoring any points, so you can't play him. Yeah, and he's you know very likely to give you a lot of 20 to 25 AE scores as well. Yeah. Um, think, of, think about the situation a lot of people were in with... Um, Spencer Lillini, whatever his name is, from last year. Um, new forward pack, he's going to get more minutes off the bench, maybe sort of end up sort of starting. He ended up scoring, though, 20, 25 points a game, never really made any money, just stuck up everyone's bench the entire year. You couldn't get rid of him because he was, wasn't cashing anything out and you couldn't start him because he wasn't scoring freaking points. He ended up just being dead weight the whole year. Similar scenario. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and like I will say as well, the, the worst cheapies that I've had in Supercoach ever since I started playing are always bench middle forwards. It, it is always the case because their minutes end up so low so often and they just don't get a huge amount of opportunity and it just, the, the scores often stink. They also don't even have the upside. Like if you've got a oh, an edge back row forward or, or on the bench and you start with them, at least they can come on if they're coming onto an edge and hit some attack. You know, the, the front rowers aren't going to do that. So you just... It's a real slow burn. I will say as a strategy, um, some teams might just want to say, look, I don't want to I don't want to spend there and I need to have four front row forwards. Um, I would probably say 
with those people, you know, you can have two starting front row forwards. George Burgess is a guy that I, I prefer over Bullimore and he's 40K cheaper and we'll get to him in the Dragons one. I don't love it, but I'd rather do that. I think you're wanting to, at least if you're going to go for a guy that's going to be a dud and take three months to make any money, go for a real low, like don't spend 280K on it if you can. Even if there's somebody that you think might start in a couple of months, I would almost be prone to just go for a bottom dollar guy if I got a sniff that someone was going to play down the track, then have that fourth one tied up with almost 300K in a Bullimore or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's obviously a lot harder to do with the forwards because if you think someone's going to play eventually, it's generally unlikely you're going to go, go on in, son, get 50 minutes for me. <laughs> it's more likely, a, hey, look, we need you on the bench, brother. All oh, right, 20, 25-minute cameo, and it's not really sort of, unless he goes over the line, it's not really doing you, doing you any sort of massive justice. There's, I can't remember the last time I I, I, uh, I put my mind my, my, my uh, team score up on the uh, Supercoach Facebook page and said, eat this, blokes, and the bench forward scored 100 points. So <laughs> it's more it's more the outside backs to take a pun on, but if you have to, you have to. But, yeah, I, I think those sort of nuffies would be saved for, like, the Sawalis and the, the, uh, the Roosters edges of the world. Yep, I agree. And, look, if you're going to have... I think there's a lot of argument for and against having any nuffs in your team, especially when you really need some depth this year. Uh, but if you're going to have any, I'd throw one in second in your front row forward spot rather than you know spend 280k on Bullimore. Uh, obviously, Bullimore is going to start, or we're going to see him get 45 minutes a game because he's going to be the first forward off the bench. I'm happy to change my mind on it, but right now, and all the information we have in his career history, I just don't really see it at his price point. Even if it's even if it's a dual nut, like think of it this way: how many people had either one or two of those? Penrith, Penrith bench bums sitting on their front row forward bench the entire year. Didn't hurt you. You still had them come September, didn't you? So instead of spending, you know, sort of 250K on a bike like that, just get a front row forward dual enough so that when your front row forward does sort of cark it or get injured or you need to sort of move around or swap someone out, you know, the, the dual allows you to do that. Like at least have some, some sort of flexibility value in there in getting enough. Yeah, I agree. So we need to take a quick break on the All-Stars podcast to talk about our sponsor, TopSport, topsport.com.au. Go to that website, have a look. They're Australia's premier bookmaker that is 100% Australian-owned, often have best odds in the market. I love their NRL futures at the moment. You can even now bet on uh, teams to beat last season's win totals. Uh, that's really interesting. Uh, and the lowest is a $4-odd market. Uh, so it's, it starts off pretty juicy. Uh, Miss the top eight is fantastic as well. Um, you've got the Cowboys and the Dragons at both at a dollar eighteen, along with the West Tigers. Three way battle for the favoritism there on missing the top eight. So you're not going to get much money there. But certainly, if you go for someone like the Canberra Raiders, if you think they're going to have an off season, dollar seventy getting towards the two dollars. If you're going to make a big call and say someone like uh, South Sydney, they're going to have a real struggle of a year. You get close to four dollars for that as well. So. Great odds on some of the top sport markets for the NRL futures. If you are going to gamble, make sure you do it responsibly, but do it with top sport and make sure you open an account with the All-Stars promo code. That is SC All-Stars, all one word. If you open it with that promo code, they'll know you're one of our listeners, so they'll know what you're into and they'll know to take great care of you as well. Certainly there's other sports and racing too that you can smash up on there, but whatever it is that you're interested in, make sure that you do it with top sport. Billy, that is part one 
of this podcast covering the Manly Sea Eagles. We're going to go on to part two, and that will be out within two days of this podcast, everyone, where you can hear me and Billy chat about the Penrith Panthers. You can download or stream on iTunes, SoundCloud, as well as Spotify. Certainly give us a follow on Twitter. That's NRL underscore SC underscore all stars, all one word. And certainly make sure that you share the podcast around and tell your friends about it. It's been great getting so many new listeners this year. I want to keep that pumping up because it's fantastic. It's one of the reasons why I'm branching out. I'm going to add an extra podcast every week for everyone. So thanks very much for listening, guys. Part two will be out soon and we'll chat to you again shortly. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. Shooting stars, break the mold.